Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Well, do turn to Psalm 42. And we're going to read Psalm 42 and 43. They go together like Psalm 9 and 10 did. So, uh, And it says here, To the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. And these words are somewhat familiar to you. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Miser. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness. There's that word, hased. He'll command his steadfast love in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Psalm 43, vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth, your amet. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O my God. O God, my God, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Whew, a lot of beautiful things in there, some very familiar. I'm sure you had recognized those from hearing them at some point. Uh, There are poems and songs that bring in some of those great phrases. Of course, Many of us have heard that first verse, as the deer pants for the water, so pants my soul for you, O God. But um, this is the first psalm of book two of the psalms. So the 150 psalms are divided into five books. And Psalm 1 through 41 was book one. Psalm 42 to 72 is book two. And uh, this is the first psalm attributed to someone other than David. The heading reads, To the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. Now, who was Korah? Well, there are several Korahs in the scriptures. One of Esau's children 
Jacob's brother Esau, one of Esau's children in the book of Genesis was named Korah. So when Esau's genealogy is given in uh, Genesis 36, one of those is named Korah. But it's probably not that Korah. There was a rebellious Korah of the tribe of Levi. Some of you might be thinking about him, Korah's rebellion that we read about, described in the book of Numbers, who God judged for mutiny against Moses. Does anybody here remember what that Korah's issue was? He was a Levite, and what was his problem with uh, Aaron? I don't like the way this is arranged. Only the sons of Aaron get to do the priestly work, and we, the other Levites, have to help them. Uh, so why can't we do some of that priestly work? That's what people see. They get to wear those nice duds and stuff like that. Korah was in on that rebellion. Um, and uh, do you remember God's response? <laughs> God said, told everyone else to get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. And they were all, uh, those other guys were from the tribe of, uh, Abraham were the tribe of Reuben. And God said to, about that core, get away from him and you got it. The earth swallowed them up and closed in over top of them. Uh, so uh, that was in Numbers 36, 16. Now turn to 1 Chronicles 6, because we want to figure out what sons of Korah are being talked about here in Psalm 42 that are the authors of this psalm. And as I mentioned a minute ago, uh, the first psalm that's not attributed to David as you read through the psalm. So that itself makes it interesting to us. So get, get over to 1 Chronicles, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 King, 1 and 2 Chronicles. Uh, where does 2 Chronicles fall in the Hebrew Bible? It's the very last book of their Old Testament. So one of the interesting things about our Jewish friends is that um, they uh, have the very same Old Testament books that are in our Bible, but they're arranged differently. And it was the Greek Septuagint that changed the order some as it came into the new things. But Second Chronicles is actually the very last book of uh, the Jewish uh, canon. Uh, so when Jesus said from the right the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the last person to die for the faith in the Old Testament was Zechariah in Second Chronicles. Uh, there's lots of Zacharias too. But anyway, First Chronicles chapter 6, verse 31. And there we read, Now these are the men whom David appointed over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest. They were ministering with music before the dwelling place of the tabernacle of meeting until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they served in their office according to their order. And these are the ones who ministered with their sons. Of the sons of the Kohathites were Heman, the singer, there's a psalm or two by him, the son of Joel, the son of Samuel, the son of Elkanah, the son of Jerahom, the son of Eliel, the son of Toa, the son of Zuf, the son of Elkanah. Wait, how did I get myself into this? The son of Mathath, the son of Amasai, the son of Elkanah, the son of Joel, the son of Azariah, the son of Zephaniah, the son of Tahath, the son of Aser, the son of Ebiath, the son of Korah. That's why I got myself into it, because uh, these guys are listed and they go back. So, um, and the sons of Korah wind up writing um, several psalms. Now, if this last reference to Korah is the one who was swallowed up, if that's this Korah going all the way back in that genealogical list there, then that means by God's grace, his descendants did a better job helping David than he had done following Moses. Because God's original plan was, of course, for Aaron 
and his sons to be the priestly line and the other Levitical lines to help them and specifically uh, for some of them to have roles leading music. And so that was the job of the sons of Korah that they embraced later on. Perhaps calling them the sons of Korah wasn't so much to say, look at the great heritage they come from, but look at what God can do in a new generation when previous generations has to be, had to be judged. You know, on Sunday morning, we've been looking about how God wants to extend His mercy and grace and His faithful love to thousands, to those who love Him. But for those that reject Him, their, their sins can be visited on the third, out to the third and fourth generation. We saw that with Abraham. Abraham had a truth problem related to Sarah. A little bit that happened in the next generation with Isaac and Rebecca happened big time in the next generation with Jacob and his, uh, you know, uh, wife and kids and things. And then uh, the twelve tribes that came to a head, you know, in the time of uh, them selling Joseph into slavery and lying to dad about it. You know, look, somebody's gotten him. Something's gotten him and things. Um, but if indeed. It's those sons of Korah going all the way back to that original Korah that was killed in rebellion. you got a pretty good story here of a new generation seeking the Lord where previous ones didn't. First Chronicles 12, let's look at that just to get this uh, idea. I, I love it when you have some background in the historical books to go along with the Psalm references. So First Chronicles 12. I'm going to get there. And I did, okay. It says, the growth of David's army. Now these were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was still a fugitive from Saul, the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war, armed with bows, using both the right hand. Uh, let's try Second Chronicles. I think I wrote, I gave you a wrong reference there. I hate when that happens. Ah, I, I gave up too fast. Thank you, Gary. Good to have other scholars around. So let me do take the time to read First Chronicles. I lost confidence in myself there that I'd gotten it right because of uh, the war language. Um, yeah, so there it is. Uh, they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war, armed with bows, using both the right hand and the left, and hurling stones and shooting arrows with the bow. They were a Benjamin, Saul's brethren. The chief was Aziahar, then Joash, the sons of Shema, the Gibeathite, Jeziel, and Pelet, the sons of Asmaphath, Berakah, Jehu, the Anathathite, Ishmael, the Gibeonite, a mighty man among the thirty, and over the thirty, Jeremiah, Jahaziel, Johanan, Jehazabad, the Jedarite. Eluziah, Jeremoth, Belial, Shemariah, and Shephatite, the Herophite, Elkanah, Jesiah, Azarel, Joazar, Jashobim, the Korahites. So the Korahites there. So they go back with David, those guys that had followed him all the way back there. Now, if some of these are the same ones, then that's also powerful, where before their family members had been disloyal to God's anointed leader, these guys were loyal. So these guys are for David, and of course David gets commissioned by God to uh, get the ta temple things ready for what his son Solomon would do in building the temple, and David lined up as much as he could, including the singers, and the sons of Korah were among those singers. So that's pretty cool. Second uh, Chronicles 20. I think it gets cooler in this passage even. And then we'll get back to our psalm text. Okay. Second Chronicles 20, verse 13. 
says, Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jal, the son of Matthiah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Did you see that? You will not need to fight in this battle. The enemy was ready to take them out, but you won't need to fight in this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Here it is. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. And if we were to keep reading, we would see that the next day, it wasn't those with their weapons that went out first. The choir went out first, and they were singing God's praises, and the enemy was defeated as God did the rest which is pretty cool. You know, we read a verse that says, God inhabits the praise of his people. And sometimes we just have to stop and say, I can't, I can't, I can't do this, Lord. But you never said I could. You can through me, and you promised that you would. So sometimes we sing the great hymn, Faith is the Victory That Overcomes the World. And uh, that's it. That's it. You know, there's obviously thing God calls us to do, tangible measures he takes us to think and has us take in certain areas. Uh, but many times he just wants us to be still, as we saw in Psalm uh, 46, uh, to be still. We're going to see it in Psalm 46. Be still and know that I'm God. And uh, to have faith in him, to Im implore him to do what he alone can do. And I'm glad that at 56 years old now, and uh, my wife just turned 55, I'm glad that we're just about at the point in our lives where we're starting to trust that in ways we never did when we were younger. Lord, we got to pray. Man, we just have to pray. We got to pray with each other. We got to pray. Uh, you know, the Lord blessed us a weekend ago. Many of you were praying. Elizabeth had been praying for months that with my nephew's wedding at our house, that we'd have just several good days of weather and all the details would work out well. And, uh, you know, you know, November-ish, you can get some rainy days and, uh, you know, messy weather about this time of year, bleak and dark and stuff like that. But it was just perfect. And it's not that that's such a small matter, you know. Uh, it's much cooler to think about some of the, you know, times that, you know, we, we prayed and then you see healing like with uh, uh, Vance's sister there, how cool that is. Um, but just the Lord wants us to be people of faith. And in that case, Jehoshaphat and the people were surrounded. They didn't know what to do. Jehoshaphat actually says in the parallel passage, he says, Lord, we don't know what to do, so our eyes are on you. And the solution then is, as ready as some of the people were to fight, instead the choir goes out singing the praises and the enemy's defeated. All right. Well, originally Psalm 42 and 43 were probably one psalm, just like 9 and 10. And um, is there a, a phrase that you saw repeated as we went through those two psalms? Yeah, yeah. It, I actually gave you the three verses there, didn't I? 42.5, 42.11, and 43.5. We think of songs with choruses, don't we? And this is kind of, you know, we know the Psalms were sung, and 42.5 says the same thing as uh, 
uh, 11 and the end of uh, 43, 5, and originally probably just one psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Um, and I can see why, you know, surely that meant a lot to her, you know, with that opening verse, as the deer pants for the water, my soul pants for you. Lord, I'm wore out, I need you. And then a verse like that, God, uh, you know, lift me up here because we're cast down. Um, so, uh, so I liken that repeated phrase there to the chorus after the verse. No, I'm in Second Chronicles 20. Oh, the Second Chronicles 21. That's the chapter. We don't know what to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's a great connection too, because it ties together with the sons of Korah being the ones writing this psalm, and so who knows? That might have been what was rolling off their lips, you know, which is great. Um, so that kind of helps give uh, this these two psalms an outline. You've got your first verse where there's a lament in verses 1 through 4, and then the chorus that we just looked at. The second verse, the lament in verses 6 to 10. The chorus again in verse 11. And then the third verse, a petition. Uh, and then the chorus uh, in verse 5. So it's one of the trouble and trust psalms when you put them together, where you express the trouble you're in and that you trust God anyway, despite the hardship you're facing. I think about the African-American spirituals, you know, uh, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, nobody knows like Jesus. Some of the lines of that great spiritual say, sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down, oh yes, Lord, sometimes I'm almost to the ground, oh yes, Lord. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen, nobody knows but Jesus. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen, glory, hallelujah. Now you may think I don't know, oh yes, Lord, but I've had my troubles here below, oh yes, Lord. One day I was walking along, yes, Lord, the sky opened up and love came down. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. And it goes from there in the old spiritual. Well, what is new about how God is addressed in uh, verse 1 and really throughout Psalm 42 and 43? So I'm, I'm having you put on your thinking caps here and think about the 41 psalms we've already kind of looked at and then how this is a new book of psalms. So what I want you to do is put your uh, finger at Psalm 42 and look all the way back to Psalm 1, the very first psalm, and I'm going to see if anybody gets it here. You might not, and that's okay, but um, specifically we're talking about how God is addressed and Look at the difference between Psalm 1, look at verse 2, and then see in um, Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, and really throughout the whole thing, how God is addressed, and tell me if you see, uh, you discern any difference there. So you're talking to God, you're using His name, and can you see any difference there? And really, as I'm just scanning verse uh, Psalm 2 and Psalm 3, most of the time I'm seeing the name Lord come up, right? Yahweh. But interesting, a whole bunch of the Psalms in book 2, starting with Psalm 42, he says God or Elohim instead. The psalmists say God or Elohim instead. Now we know almost all of the ones in Psalm 1 uh, in book one, were of David. And we know that David was a man after God's own heart, 
And Yahweh is a little bit more personal uh, a way to talk about God than Elohim God. And that's just another small thing there, but it is interesting. In book two of the Psalms, Psalm 42 through 72, we're going to see G-O-D or Elohim used a whole lot more than the more personal Yahweh. And we're going to see less of these are by David. And so it's just another way, uh, nothing wrong with what they're saying. It's just another way of showing how God, you know, wanted to, David wanted to know God as friend and called him uh, by his personal name there. L-O-R-D capitalized is Yahweh. So I thought that was interesting. Verse 1, as the deer panteth for the water. Now, anybody in here been a hunter? Have you ever got to see deers panting? By water? Now, why would a deer pant uh, by the water? Because <laughs> you shot him. And he's wore out because you've been chasing him, right? So Gary's here. He's Elmer Fudd. You know, he's getting that deer. He's going to feed the family for the winter and stuff like that. He's chased that old deer and might have even hit him. And the deer's just plumb wore out. And he's, got a, he's just frantic, right, because he's running to survive. What a picture that puts in your mind, doesn't it? Because even before people used guns to hunt deer, uh, they hunted deer to get food for the king and the families and stuff like that. And David remembers all all the times he needed to provide a deer for the family and he's seen this situation and that deer is just frantic it's wore out it's tired and needs to get that water and it's panting uh, because it's been running sometimes it's looking for the water right finally got it and David says or Korah the sons of Korah say here because they're the, they're the authors of this. Uh, that's what we're like with you, God. We are dry. We are frantic. We are uh, just beset with all of our circumstances, and we need you. We need you like that deer needs water so that it can keep on running, keep on up with it. This is such a beautiful picture to put in there. Verse 2, the psalmist is sad because he desperately wants to meet with God but feels complete dryness between him and God. So I'm panting. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, and he wonders, they wonder, when shall I come, when shall we come and appear before God? And so you get this situation, wore out, needing God's provision of the water, uh, wore out, dry. Uh, and then look at verse 3 there. Far from finding the refreshing drink, the psalmist is having to drink his own tears. My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? And I love the psalms, don't you? It's great to be up. I, you know, Have I told you about Elizabeth and I's Chinese names? Because uh, I'm generally uh, you know, up and happy. Uh, she said, um, you know, uh, to me one time, if you were Chinese, your name would be uh, So Dang Happy. <laughs> and I said, well, if you were, had a Chinese name, it would be Too Dang Mean. <laughs> and, and stuff. Um, you know, so some of us, uh, we see a half full glass and, you know, we say, oh, it's half full. And I'm more optimistic like that a lot of times. I, I'm really like, a lot of times like Charlie Brown in the football, you know, oh, things are going great. I'm going to kick that ball through. And Lucy pulls it away, you know. Um, and uh, others of us see the glass and it's half empty. And, of course, there's a third kind of person that says, well, it's, it is what it is. It's half, you know, it's half full, half empty. You know, it's it's 50 percent uh, where it needs to be. Um, but uh 
so I love the honesty of the Psalms and how, you know, you run into people as a pastor and they think that if they're down, then they need to fake it till they make it. And it's one thing to uh, when when people really care about you and they ask how you are and say, oh, I'm fine. You know, you don't really want to talk and share in that moment. The hard things going on in your life are harder that you're worried about. But it's another thing to do that with God, you know, and say, well, I don't want to trouble God. And I love the fact that these Psalms teach us to pour out our hearts before God. God, I'm not okay right now. I'm hurting. Uh, I am uh, frustrated. Uh I just, Lord, I don't see how there's any real benefit to me in going through this trial that I'm going through. Uh, these kind of things. And the psalmist teach us it's okay to pour out your heart to God. He already knows. He hears us telling everybody else about it. And he says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Cast your cares upon me, Jesus says in the New Testament. And, you know, Cast your cares upon God because he cares for you, Peter said. And here... Uh, he comes to God, and he's asking, where are you, God? Uh, it looks like others are mocking him, saying, where's this abundant life your God talks about? And sometimes that happens too, right? Uh, Job was down, and his, uh, so many bad things had happened, and his wife said, why don't you curse God and die? And we don't blame her too much, because she was grieving too. You know, she'd lost all her kids, and these terrible circumstances had come. And she was responding by saying, I don't know if I can do this God thing right now. And Job's saying, Shall we accept good from the hand of the Lord and not bad? And so he's turning to the Lord even as she's turning away, and hopefully she turned back as well. But others are mocking him. They're saying, where's this abundant life your God talks about? Well, verses 4 through 6 indicate that this may have been written during the time of exile in Babylon, so the future sons of Korah that continued to lead worship for Israel. Um, and um, we say that because... Uh, 1 Chronicles 9.19 refers to sons of Korah, gatekeepers again after the return from the exile. So uh, they give some things in there that mean perhaps during exile this is a song they had sung. We remember when we used to be able to go to the temple, but now we're in a godless country. Now these pagan, pagans taunt us and say, where is your God? The location in verse 6, Mount Hermon there, uh, where what becomes the Jordan River starts as a waterfall off of Mount Hermon. And so it looks like, um, you know, I'll remember you from the land of Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, verse 6 says, from the hill Mizar, and uh, as if they're thinking about getting to go home again uh, to Israel and to all the things of the faith. Perhaps it was the last site of the Holy Land they remembered as they were brought north to Babylon the very flat and dry Babylon. And, and where's Babylon at, modern day what? Iraq, Iraq or so, yeah. Uh, they're thinking about the beautiful mountains of northern Israel and how first there's Mount Hermon and then the water comes off of there and goes down to what's the Jordan River as it flows on down and the four or five other mountain peaks that then make up the range. By the way, um, uh, it, it was interesting being in Africa uh, a year ago, November. Well, two years ago now, right, Gary? I guess we're in November now, so it was two years ago we took our trip to, what was it last year? It was last year, wasn't it? Man, when we went to uh, see the great ministry. We'll figure it out. Time flies, doesn't it? How long has it been? Anyway, uh, it's really interesting. Some of the pastors there were asking me about imagery related to things in the Holy Land. 
And I said, well, you know, I'd love to go one day. I haven't yet been to the Holy Land, but let me tell you this. You know more here in Kenya about some of this imagery than I do related to shepherding and stuff like that. Now, why is that true? Because it's the same mountain range, the Rift Valley, right, with that mountain range runs from uh, north, uh, northern Israel all the way down into where Kenya is, and it's some of the same mountain and pastoral type things they have to deal with uh, in the valleys and stuff like that, which is interesting. Now, here's a great, great quote from Bob Alden. After we had spent a week in an Islamic country on a Holy Land trip, a cathedral was the first stop in the next country. One pastor remarked on how refreshing it was to be in a church of any kind after being exiled, so to speak, in a culture with almost no Christian influence. Maybe you felt like that when you've done some traveling. And maybe uh, this psalm of the sons of Korah was in those exilic years, uh, in the exile years, where they're in Babylon but want to remember and keep fresh in their mind Jerusalem. A song would help do that. Uh, Verse 5, the chorus kind of gives an uptick of hope as he encourages himself to hope in God, his Savior, who he will still praise despite bad circumstances. But verse 6 returns to the discouraged tone. So this really is a nobody knows the troubles I've seen, but Lord, I trust you anyway. And uh, the preaching to yourself um, in verse 5, uh, sometimes you need to get yourself another preacher, and that's yourself. You know, uh, the pastor's not there with you to encourage you or your Sunday school teacher. And look what he says in verse 5. He talks directly to himself. He looks in the mirror and say, Danny, why are you so depressed? Why, why are you so down? Hope in God, for you're going to get to praise him again. He's the help of your countenance. What does countenance mean? What, 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 what does countenance refer to? Yeah, your, your face and your outward expression. And sometimes people can just tell how sad you are in your countenance. And uh, even before you go out in a day, sometimes you can tell. And you look in the mirror, and I can see the, the, they didn't have mirrors then, but the psalmist looking in the water's reflection and saying, hey, you, right there, guy in the water, guy in the mirror, gal in the mirror, uh, don't forget God's still on the throne. He's still your God. You can still trust him and hope even though you're down. You want to be in Jerusalem, but you're in Babylon. You want things to be working out with your kids, but they're not, you know. You can still hope and trust in God. Leave it in his hands, his capable hands. Well, verse 6, he's right back. Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me, but I'll remember you. And, uh, and, and from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill miser. Verse 7 seems to indicate the only water he's experiencing is the flood of judgment that's been allowed by God. Deep calls to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. I wanted a nice refreshing drink, and instead when it came, it just flooded over me. It felt like uh, your hand of judgment. Later, Jonah quotes this verse uh, when he was experiencing quite literally uh, drowning in Jonah 2.3. He is saying here he feels overwhelmed by his troubles. It's just all flooding over me. We speak of being snowed under, right, or buried or drowning, and that's how he felt. So when you think the people in Bible days can't relate to your struggle, think again, because they often give us moments like this. He immediately turns back to trust in verse 8, which is neat because it's the midpoint of the two Psalms. Do you see it there? So even though I'm frustrated and I'm, I'm hurting, the Lord will command His loving kindness. If you've got the ESV, it says steadfast love there. 
if you've got the Holman, it says his faithful love there. It's that word hased. By the way, can you think about a type of Jew that is trying to tell you how much they appreciate the loving kindness of God and how they're trying to uh, be ones that love his commands? The Hebrew word for loving kindness is hased. Can you think of a kind of Jew that's telling you in their name? Have you ever heard of Hasidic Jews? Hasidic Jews? Hasidic are telling you they're trying to be saints. Hasidic, they're trying to be those who appreciate God's Hasid and want to outwardly reflect their love for God by their obedience to the commands of God. Unfortunately, Hasidic Jews are often kind of legalistic uh, instead of uh, that love relationship, but the word itself is that key word talking about God's steadfast love and how he's abounding in it. So that's kind of interesting. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Hey, tonight, later, when you're about to go to bed, remember that. Well, it's already dark now, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it got dark earlier this night. (laughs) It's already nighttime. And so on the way home and then on your bed tonight, remember that verse 8 there. In the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And so here's David. What's he doing? Our sons of Korah, they're doing the same thing David did in his Psalms. They're saying, God, frustrating, hurtful circumstances, but you're still God. You're going to command the things that need to be commanded to have uh, me follow you in this workout. And so, um, Lord, help me to remember that when I'm the last song tonight I sing before I go to bed. I want that in my mind rather than some kind of uh, other kind of song. I think of Job saying, though God slay me, yet I will trust him. And I think of Jesus really impressing on the disciples in John 6, his call to follow him. And remember what he says there, and it makes a whole bunch of people turn away. He says, unless you eat my, uh, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have nothing to do with me. And they thought, what in the world's he saying? And they turned away and a whole bunch stopped following. What he was really saying was, you can't just taste the things of faith with me. You need to be all in. You need to swallow. This needs to be your life. And uh, after they all went away, so think about that. Jesus as a preacher, all these people went away. And then he says to the ones left, including Peter, what about you? You're going to leave also? And Peter, do you remember what Peter said? You've had the words of Where else can we go? You've got the words of life. Uh, Some of you remember me saying the story, but that was the passage God really used to give me assurance of salvation two years into my profession of faith in Christ. Saved as a senior in high school, I was really discouraged and down thinking Psalm 42 and 43 type thoughts uh, on my sophomore break from college. I was ready to stop going to Brian and maybe away from a ministry call, maybe even away from the faith. Now, you know, God had a hold of me, but I was discouraged. I was down. So I went home and said, maybe I won't go back to Brian second semester. And uh, so I got home and I pulled up in the driveway and um, 
my dad met me at the door and he had a brochure in my hand. Brian had done a brochure about who gets some scholarship money to help. I'd gotten a soccer scholarship my second year there after being a walk-on my first year. And dad was holding a picture with me as a player on it. And he said, I'm so proud of you. I'd done something to make him proud, so he was proud of me. And he said, I'm so proud of you and I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep you at that school. And I thought, probably not a good time to tell him I was just thinking about not going back. And I don't know if I you know, really have it in me to follow this ministry call. And and, um, and uh, so I was kind of discouraged and down. And I got to reading, as I did whenever I've been down in my life, reading in the Bible, and uh, came to John 6. And when Peter spoke those words, where else can we go, Lord? You've got the words of life. We've left everything to follow you. You know what settled in on me? That's exactly how I feel. I mean, um, I, I can't go back because I'm not even the person I was. You know, I'm not everything I want to be yet, and I still struggle with lots of things, but I knew, even as a less than two-year-old Christian, I could never go back because that is so not who I am anymore. My life now is about Jesus and following Him. And, um, and so I love how the psalmist throws verse 8 in here. Peter threw those words in. And the most full assurance of my salvation and really also the sense that God had a purpose and plan for my life settled in on me, it was a beautiful thing. And it's really neat if that's happened to you too. You know, you, had, you gave your life and heart to Christ and then a little time passed and God gave you a fuller just appreciation that you were his and he was yours and that that was the way it was going to be. Sounds you know. like your dad was a preacher there for a few years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, as I've often shared, you know, uh, God's helped me uh, through the stories good and bad with dad, and my kids will say the same thing, you know. Uh, you're my life now, I'll follow you. And it's important because verses 9 and 10, what does he do? He returns to frustration. Do you see it? <laughs> I'll say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go? So notice what he's doing. Lord, I am yours. So how come I'm not feeling more of the joy in this, all, all the sense there? Have you, have you ever done that? Have you ever gone back and forth between worry and trust, fear and faith? According to Psalm 42 and 43, you're normal. That's why I, I, I don't dislike the great books, The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. I, I just am a little uncomfortable because he there really presents the normal life ought to be one of constant victory in the Lord. And my own experience as a pastor and talking to people is, even when I meet great saints who have done wonderful missionary things is, no, the normal Christian life is highs and lows, victories and sorrows, uh, the normal Christian life is struggle, but God is with us and we continue to grow. And so, yes, Danny, do you believe in the victorious Christian life? I believe that Christ, had, we're more than overcomers in Christ because we're with Him and He's overcome. But that doesn't mean we won't have setbacks and sorrows and struggles. That's just part of life down here before we're up there and before Christ brings in His kingdom where it's always awesome, you know. And so uh, it, you're normal, just like the psalmist here, you have trouble and trust all at the same time. And you know what, one of the reasons I share that is because, you know, I, I'm known as a joyful guy and the smile is always here because, you know, uh, Bob Dylan uh, got saved for, did he get really saved? I don't know, but he's, <laughs> no, it was, uh, who's the other guy? 
The world didn't give it to me. B.J. Thomas, the world didn't give it to me. The world can't take it away, you know, and that's just kind of how I feel, you know. I, they're, they're, God really did vacuum away the anger. He gave me joy. He gave me peace. And so that is who I am. It's at home true. It's here true. Uh, but I run into people, and they see me on Sunday mornings and worshiping and, and preaching and stuff, and they, they, they get the misimpression that everything goes well and perfect and lovely for me all the time, and, and it's just not true, you know. Um, you know, but God is always there. He's always present. And so there's always joy, no matter what the circumstances are like. And, but I've got to remind myself of that. And the psalmist here did too, you know, hope in God. Because again, look what he says in verse 11. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted with me? Hope in God. I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Well, if Psalm 42 had more lament before those chorus, the Psalm 43 is his petition. He talks about um, plead my cause against an ungodly nation. For Israel, that could have been any number of the nations around them that wanted to do their harm. Might have been Babylon. Perhaps Nebuchadnezzar is the unjust man. Deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. Uh, pretty good prayer for our day, too, where Christians are often misunderstood and in conflict with an increasingly godless country led by increasingly godless people. Pretty good thing to pray for Israel now, as this prayer is for them in the first audience and what they're going through. We do well to join the psalmist in the prayer, verse 3. Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me to where you live, God. Send your light and your truth. Good thing to pray for the election coming up Tuesday. Lord, there's a lot of heat about things across the country. Send your light and your truth. Uh, in Timothy, it says, pray for those in authority to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's how I've always prayed for any kind of politician, art, Republican or Democrat. Lord, if Joe Biden... Uh, isn't saved, save him. And on all those areas that he does not understand your truth in, pro-life, pro-family, etc., Lord, give him some sleepless nights. Help him to come to the knowledge of the truth, your biblical truth in those areas that uh, right now he's kind of shaking his fist. And that would be true for our state senators and, you know, all throughout the uh, city council and stuff like that, too. Um, so, uh, he prays those things. Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me to where you live, God. And when that happens, what does the psalmist say he'll do? He'll pick up his harp again and play just like yesterday. He'll pick up his guitar and play. We love those stringed instruments. And then one more time back to the chorus that we've already looked at. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So, folks, when you're distressed, when you're depressed, and around us things seem to be changing for the worse, you got to hope in our unchanging God and Savior. All these are momentary afflictions compared to life forever with him. And so uh, be sure and preach to yourself tonight. You know, whatever is upsetting you, discouraging you. Maybe uh, we talked a little bit about rehab progress. We want it to be a little further along, you know, uh, or uh, some situation in your family or uh, the state of things for Israel, the world, as, as we're careening toward the end time stuff. Uh, preach to yourself. Say, self, that's what he says in verse 5 and 11 and 43, 5 there. Why are you cast down, self? <laughs> why, why, you know, Hope in God, hope in God, for you will yet praise Him. He's the help of your countenance. He's the one that means you can have that joy on your face, uh, even though your circumstances may stink. Let's pray.
Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.